Let's pray again. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance that I have to open your word and address your people. And I pray that uh, the words that I share this morning will be helpful and useful, and it won't just be about conveying information, but uh, there will be inspiration from your word here this morning that will allow this congregation to uh, see the work that you are doing and uh, the path that you have for us for the future, and to pray that uh, this time together in the word and through worship and song will serve to deepen our faith and strengthen our uh, our love for you and uh, and for your great son Jesus it's in his name that we pray amen I want to be as close as possible to you as I can get all right Aaron and I have the privilege of sending our daughter Bree to Legacy Christian School up in Noblesville and uh, last year was our first year there as uh, parents and we didn't know anybody beyond Bree's own classroom and Bree's teacher and uh, so one afternoon we were sitting in the car line waiting to pick her up and we got uh, on the window and a letter was passed through the window and as soon as you received it you knew it was one of those letters where you know we're sorry to inform you the board has dismissed the principal and effective immediately so and so is now in charge there will be no questions God bless and uh, we knew nothing. We were just first-year parents. We didn't know any administrators or principals or anything. And we remember thinking, you know, goodness, if we were you know, that mom and that dad that did board meetings and PTA and chapels and field trips, this would just drive us up the wall with curiosity. You know, what's going on? What happened? What's next? What's the real story here? And it was weird enough without being as invested as we were at that point. Um, and so here we are this morning at Prairie View, and it's a very similar kind of story. My aim this morning is to shed some light on this situation from the scriptural and pastoral perspective for the purpose of providing spiritual care for those who are hurt and wounded and weary or just curious about the situation and what's going to be in store for the church in the future. Some of the words we heard this week on the phone calls were uh, frustrated and uh, fearful and brokenhearted. And I'm hoping this morning that I will be able to tend to some of the broken hearts and uh, definitely bring courage to the mind that is fearful. And if you're among the frustrated, then uh, hopefully I won't be adding to that this morning. I'm not going to have any attempts at humor. I'm not going to have any of my customary props or visual illustrations. No volunteers from the congregation this morning. It's just going to be passage of scripture, drawing principles from the scripture, applying them to our situation want to address the situation, not going to ignore it or sidestep it or try to get around it. Uh, not going to use this opportunity to settle scores or tell our side of the story or uh, to try to tamper with or spoil your affection for the Lauks, because I know that many of you have developed good and deep friendships with them. But I will later on say some things that might be a little bit awkward. I might say out loud some things that most folks have enough sense to keep inside their heads, uh, but all for the purpose of strengthening and building up this church and providing encouragement. We're not going to dwell on the past and we're not going to pretend it never happened. We will address it, but uh, specifically we'll be looking at the future and what God is doing in this church 
and through this church. So please take your Bibles. If you don't have one, there are some scattered around the room. Uh, Not going to be any PowerPoint presentation this morning because everything I have to share is either going to be from the book, which hopefully you can have within reach, or already in the notes in the bulletin. We're going to be opening to 1 Corinthians, please, and chapter 3. The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians are one section dealing with the problem of factions in the church. And I hear that Pastor Ryan spoke on this last week from chapter 1. Erin and I went to church with her mother, and we had a technical failure back in the booth, so I haven't had a chance to hear that sermon. And it's possible that I might repeat something that Ryan said last week. And I'm okay with that, because I'm quite comfortable repeating good scriptural truths two weeks in a row. Now, 1 Corinthians has five paragraphs. The first paragraph and the last paragraph deal specifically with the problem of factions in the Corinthian church. And that's great, and that's helpful, but we don't think that's where our problem is this morning. The Corinthian problem is not specifically our problem. And that's what Ryan addressed last week, to my understanding, anyway. So we're going to set aside the first and the fifth paragraphs. And that leaves the three in the middle. These three contain principles that are true for all churches at all times and all places. So we're going to look at those principles and apply them to us. We're going to cover uh, verses 5 through 9 this morning, and we're going to do 10 through 15 next week. And also this morning, we're going to talk about why verses 16 and 17 do not apply at all. That makes sense? Does it make sense when I'm giving you the church signs here about what we're going to be covering? Good. So, let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul planted churches, including the one in Corinth. He traveled from place to place, preaching the gospel of Jesus, and staying long enough to establish a community of believers where there had never been one before. And then he would move on to another city where the gospel was not known. And he would do it again. He would write letters, and he'd try to visit if he could, and he'd send messengers. But he moved from place to place. Apollos had a very similar ministry, and his name pops up fairly often throughout the New Testament. Paul and Apollos had very similar ministries. They served at the same time. We don't have any indication that they ever crossed paths or or met. So were they rivals? Were they each trying to one-up the other? Was one trying to build their ministry and influence at the expense of the other? No. They were both servants, as Paul says here. They were sinners, saved by grace, eager to see the gospel of Christ go out and take root and flourish according to what the Lord had laid out for them. They were doing God's work for God's glory. Verse 5, we are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul didn't save you. Apollos didn't save you. God saved you. Paul did his work and Apollos did his work, but... God is the one who actually made things happen. So, what's the point? God is building his church, and he uses many different servants. God does whatever he pleases, but his usual pattern is to work through his people to accomplish his 
purposes. And uh, the first lesson for us here this morning is that servants come and servants go, but the work of the Lord continues. Paul moved around and Apollos moved around, but in every place they left behind them workers who were trained to continue on that work. Not their work, but God's work. Now, Prairie View has had five senior ministers and five youth ministers and more worship leaders than I can count. And in a time since I joined the elder team in 2007, we've had eight different elders. Okay? Servants come and servants go, but the work of the Lord has continued at Prairie View. While God uses many servants to get his jobs done, no one person is indispensable. And make no mistake, we value longevity. And it would have been wonderful if Mazingo, Spillman, Laux, Roseberry, Wensek, any of them could have had a lifetime of long and fruitful ministry here. But when that doesn't happen, it does not mean that the work of God has failed. As long as we are reading and obeying his word, then God is at work among us. Whether the growth is in personal maturity or in uh, church unity or in the esteem of the community or in good old-fashioned church growth numerically, God is the one who is working through his servants to accomplish his work, giving the growth. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. The servant is nothing. The master is everything. Now, for those of us who are here now, there is plenty of good work before us that we can do. This is the time and place where God has called us to serve. And if you've been thinking about volunteering in some way or expanding the scope of your ministry, that would be most welcome. But let me say a specific word to folks who are relatively new here, like you've been coming here only since like the beginning of the school year. Uh, We know that the longer folks are in a church, the more relationships they form, the more they get involved, they form friendships, they get in a small group, they join a sports team, they do church work days, and that's good. But if you're rather new here, then probably your primary point of contact in your first relationship here was with Ryan, and now he's gone, and these uh, mysterious elders have, you know, made him disappear and cleaned out his office, and uh, we recognize that's a really sad situation to be in. Please hear us say, we are sorry this has happened to you, if that describes you this morning. This is a rotten situation. We would love for you to be able to stay here and get to know us. We think that Prairie View is a great church, and we're confident we can help you find a good niche here, a good way to serve, a good small group to belong to. But if you want to step back and reevaluate, we, we get that. Nobody's going to think any less of you because of that. But we would be grateful if you could give us a chance. On the other hand, if you've been here more than a couple years, please find and make yourselves known to these folks that just lost their first and only Prairie View friend. I've got a target list after church. I'm going to check on Aaron. I'm going to check on Bree, make sure she's not in any trouble. And then I'm going to find Shelly, Mardonna, and Tracy and give them hugs, whether they like it or not. And then after that, there's a couple of you out there where I know faces and I know names, and I'd really like to connect the dots and know who's who and which is which. And maybe you think that I already know your name. And I might embarrass myself by coming up to you and say, please, one last time, please tell me your name again. And I'm sorry. And we know that we have... A, a gap here. Prairie View is pretty good at 
taking care of our own when there's some sort of crisis, and we're pretty good at making visitors feel welcome, feel welcome. But we know that there is a gap for those folks who've been here three, four, five weeks and months and haven't yet gotten plugged in. And if that's you and you're saying, yes, that's me, I just lost the only person I know here, and I know Jeff sings, I know Josh talks too much, but I don't know anybody else, and I've been invited to a small group, but it doesn't start till September. We know, we know. And if anybody can you know, figure out how we can do better at that integration process, I don't know what it looks like, I don't know what to do here, I just know that it's a problem. So if you figure it out, let me know so that we can do better at this, because it would be great if in a year's time, Prairie View was wonderful at moving folks seamlessly from visiting to attending to serving to being a member to being you know one of us there's good work to be done here at prairie view god's work to be done by god's servants and we'd be thrilled if we could do that together for christ's greater glory all right go back to verse six and verse eight notice that paul and apollos did not have the same work they had Similar ministries and gifts, but each served in their own capacities uh, in different seasons in their lives. God has provided many different kinds of servants for the different kinds of work. In the garden illustration, one guy planted, the other guy watered. In the building illustration, we'll see next week, one guy lays the foundation and other folks build on top of it. There are many roles to fill and God gives many different servants. There's different tasks and one project. As Craig likes to say, we all have different seats on the bus, but the bus is going in God's direction. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 3, because we will come back. But turn back to your right, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. You'll pass 2 Corinthians, and you'll pass Galatians, and you'll hit Ephesians, and go to chapter 4, please. We're going to start in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. If you're using the Bible on your phone, you're probably already there. And he gave the apostles, oh, I'm sorry, he's talking about the different sorts of leaders that, uh, uh, that God gives for the different work in the church. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Drop down to verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. First, notice the purpose for building up the church so we become mature, knowing Christ and becoming like Christ. That's what we're about. That's what I'm attempting to accomplish right now. Expressed differently, it's following the way, teaching the truth, sharing the life as we actively pursue our walk with Christ together. But second, please notice back in verse 11 at the beginning of the passage, God has given different kinds of leaders for now, just notice that last pair, shepherds and teachers. These are two distinct roles that do a good job of summing up the work of elders. 
Now, you certainly don't have to be an elder to shepherd your family or teach a small group. Um, But when it comes to the church body, the pattern of the New Testament is that God has ordained elders to uh, protect and lead and feed and care for the flock of God. Different elders have different strengths in different areas, such as shepherding and teaching. Teaching would be handling the word, conveying information, making sure it's presented in a way that can be heard and understood and obeyed. And shepherding would be everything that a shepherd does for a flock of sheep, taking care of them and feeding them and making sure that nobody's out to get them and just taking care of them. Now, quiz time. What do we call an elder who shepherds and teaches so well with such skill and with such a gift of grace from God that everybody recognizes that and says, you need to quit your job and do that work of eldering full time and we'll support you. What do we call that? I'll tell you. We call that a pastor. A pastor is somebody who does the work of eldering so well with such a gift of grace from God that we put him on staff and say, stop what you're doing and do this as your calling. God has clearly gifted you in that way. Please do that all the time. Continue to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians and leave Ephesians. Go back. This will be our third out of four texts this morning that we'll visit to 1 Timothy chapter 5. All those books that start with T in the New Testament are all together and they're all in alphabetical order. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And we're going this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul picks up this idea of... uh, Elders doing work well and doing it full time in chapter 5. And we're heading to verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What's double honor? It goes beyond the uh, single honor, the normal honor that is given to elders. Uh, but uh, it's, it's the double honor means a paycheck, too. They do it full time. They deserve church support so they can pursue that. We call them pastors and we put them on staff and we get them health insurance and stuff like that. But with this honor comes a higher degree of public accountability. With this high profile position comes some uh, strings, if you will. Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Public figures in the church are always going to be targets. There's enemies outside the church who would love to discredit us, and the church being full of sinners, stuff happens inside the church too. And so Paul says, don't accept a charge unless it's corroborated by multiple witnesses. There's not uh, immunity, because here's a spot for an amen. Elders are sinners too, right? And Thank you. Good. So because of the public nature of the ministry, their sin can't simply be swept under the rug. Their sin, our sin can't simply be swept under the rug. If there's a sin problem and it's corroborated by multiple witnesses, then it must be dealt with. Continue in verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, If it hasn't been awkward enough already, it's about to get really worse. So let's practice being awkward. Fold your arms and find something on the floor to stare at. It's a seven-year-old carpet. I'm sure you can find something. If Austin and Erica did it, they're vacuuming too well, then maybe you can stare at your bulletin, maybe even your Bible. Okay, now look at me. Here we go. 
These verses describe exactly what has happened these last six to eight weeks. In March, we heard the first reports of the problems that Craig described earlier. I'm going to try to avoid naming the issue here because the sermons get reported and put on the internet, and this is not public business for the whole universe to see. Um, it's for Craig's comments were for our family only. So uh, what the elders heard in March on a large scale was consistent with what we had observed ourselves on a smaller scale, but it was only from one family, so we didn't act on it. Like what Paul says, do not receive, do not act on, do not hear a charge without corroboration. Well, then in April, uh, we heard from a different family more and on a greater scale what we had heard previously. And then again from somebody else and then some more. And then once we were aware of it, we were able to see it more clearly for ourselves on our own behalf. And uh, by the time we had finished investigating, we realized that we had character issues that were far bigger than we had ever feared. And people had done the Matthew 18 process without success. People were getting hurt and wounded and frustrated, even exasperated. And uh, so while it was a hard process to go through, ultimately it was not a hard decision to make because there really was only one option. When we compared the situation that we had with the instructions from Scripture, we realized we were right here in 1 Timothy 5. So we made the decision, and fortunately our church governance calls for the weight of that decision to rest with the elder team. We didn't have to do a public trial in the congregation with witnesses, which would have been ugly. Um, so we made that call, and we uh, made our preparations. We put together our severance package, and we broke the news to him. And there was no way that that conversation was going to be anything other than awful. And uh, to his credit, he took it in a very mature and godly way and didn't make the situation any worse than it needed to be. And uh, we're, we're grateful for that. Uh, yet we're still left with the awkward, icky parts of verse 20, rebuke, excuse me, rebuke in the presence of all. That's what Craig did before. We longed to avoid that just because it's so uncomfortable. Naming sin and imposing consequences just runs very counter to the judge-not culture that uh, we live in. Yet uh, we've personally seen in other churches where when the sins of leaders are hushed up and swept under the rug, it's not better. You know, rumors, gossip, whispers, factions, camps. It's a mess. And that's one reason that Paul calls for public exposure is that it serves as a deterrent for everybody. You better believe that I'm going to do everything I can to avoid being in the situation that any of us are in as a congregant or as, a, as an elder or somebody who never wants to preach this message again. It's awkward now, but ultimately we will be grateful that we followed the process here, not just because nobody's ever obeyed Scripture and come to regret it, but also because by saying what it is, we can say so clearly what it is not. We can completely rule out criminal activity, marital infidelity, financial impropriety, uh, substance abuse, porn, so many different things that can cause the man of God to fall into disrepute and sin and bring tarnish to the name of Christ. Um, those are not 
what we're dealing with. Craig said clearly what it was, and that was hard, but at least it does allow us to prevent and stop rumors. Um, but of course, we can't stop rumors if we don't hear about them. So if you hear something that sounds fishy or doesn't sound quite right or doesn't sit quite right with you or bothers you, then please ask us and we'll tell you. If you hear from somebody that, uh, you know, the elders hate you and you're next, please come and ask us. We'll tell you if we hate you. We don't have a problem with that. <laughs> it's a good thing Heinzman's not in the room, otherwise he might take us up on that and we'd be obliged to tell him the truth. But uh, no, we, I think we're demonstrating this morning that we're going to be as transparent as we can be, um, but without betraying any, any confidences like, like we've done. That takes us back to 1 Corinthians 3. If you've lost your place, uh, we're going back to 1 Corinthians 3. I said that 16 and 17 did not apply to this situation. Now let's see why. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you, collectively, the church, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? On the next page in chapter 6, he'll say that you are uh, God's temple and he's talking about individual believers, temple of the Holy Spirit. But here in chapter 3, he's talking about the church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. In Corinth, some of the faction leaders were actually opposed to the church, opposed to its mission, opposed to Christ. And I want everybody, eyes up here, to hear this very clearly, not Ryan. All right? The elders are not saying that Ryan is an enemy of the church. We're not saying that he's lost. We're not saying that he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Is that clear? Okay. We have character problems and uh, led to personal conflict and relational breakdown and a disqualification from service, but he's our brother. And while we can't have him continue as pastor, uh, we definitely want to keep him as our friend and our brother in Christ. Uh, now, the elders are always paying attention for those who would be uh, opposed to the church to do harm. And if that's you, we'll take you out. But uh, <laughs> we don't think that was Ryan. There were problems and people were getting hurt, uh, but he wasn't out to you know, destroy God's temple. And we are not out to destroy him. We're done in Corinthians. Flip to our last passage, going backwards to your left to Acts chapter 20. The back half of Acts is a travelogue, all the places that Paul visited and the stuff that he did. And in chapter 20, he was passing from Greece down to Jerusalem on a, on a journey, and he was passing close to Ephesus, so he called the elders of the Ephesian church to come and visit him. It's eggnog. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention. Verse 29, he tells us why. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, even among you, elders, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do we have problems with what Ryan did and said? Yes. Is he trying to draw away disciples after him? Yes. Okay? We know. We know that he's going to try to plant a church and that he's recruiting from among us. But does that mean that he is a wolf? No. 
No, he's not drawing people away from the faith. He's just trying to draw people out of their current churches into a new church. If we thought it was a grand idea for him to be a pastor in Hamilton County, he'd still be here. But we wish him well, and uh, we hope that God does wonderful things in his life and through his ministry. Now, according to your notes, we've got one last section to cover. God is building his church, and he uses adversity. Adversity, trials, challenges, hard seasons. These are some of God's best tools for uh, building us up into the likeness of Christ. You've heard this before, but it's so important to repeat it to you and to yourself uh, because it's so easy to forget. The Christian life is not meant to be easy. God is not pampering his children into heaven. He has work for us to do, hard work, because his purposes for us are to make us holy and uh, transforming us into the likeness of his son. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we could be fat and happy in 2012. He did that to make us holy and to liberate us from sin, and that's hard work. And God uses adversity to make us holy. First, this will be a season of adversity for us as individuals. Me and Aaron, Craig, Kathy, Jeff, and Heidi, Mark and Nancy, pretty much anybody who serves at the church will feel the extra burden of more work to do and fewer shoulders to share the load. That leads to long days and hard nights. Friends, you and your spouse and your family will be vulnerable to um, frustration and weariness and fatigue and the whole universe of temptations that are so much more dangerous during those seasons of being worn out. So watch out. Stay close to God's word and keep God's spirit close to you and ask us each other for help when you need it. Second, this will be a season of adversity for the louts. They've got a new house and a new car. Kara has full-time work, and Ryan has the opportunity for some severance, but this is a season of major upheaval for them. They are dealing with the financial aspects and the, uh, the shaking of the foundation that comes with a, a job loss. There's going to be fear of the future and for the care of their daughter and discernment of the next steps that God has for them. And there's the uniquely uncomfortable position of having one's sins exposed and, and made public, a feeling that is especially galling and embittering when you feel that you've been unjustly accused and unfairly treated. They will need the friendship of those here that they still trust. And I know, as I'm saying all this, that he's going to be listening online, and he's probably not going to want to go bowling with me anytime soon. But for those of you that are still his friends, um, and you're still close to them, then be their friend in the Lord. Help them process what has happened to them and what has been told them about why it has happened. Help them grow in the Lord as individuals and as a family. They will be vulnerable to many temptations, especially in these early days when the wound is fresh, and especially if they end up isolated from God's people. So, as much as it depends on us, let's not let that happen. Lastly, this will be a season of adversity for us as a church. Servants come, servants go, there's different servants for different roles, uh, and this is going to be a tough season. But there's 
good work to do. And as we'll see next week, we have a good manager who holds out the promise of great rewards for faithfulness and diligence. There's work to do in our own personal lives as we grow into the likeness of Christ. There's work to do in our families, in our small groups, across the church body, through all the ministry teams and the teaching rotations. Uh, We don't want to see anybody slip through the cracks in in this coming season. And uh, there's work to do helping newcomers get integrated and plugged into the body. And there's work to do in the, uh, the surrounding community out there as uh, these people watch and see how Christians behave when they have to say farewell to a pastor and how they deal with their wounded. When we are out in the, in the community, at your workplace, at the gym, at the pool, Freedom Festival in your neighborhood, I probably have more opportunities than I realize to speak about who I am in Christ and the work that he's done in my life. And I'd venture to say the same goes for you as well. God is building his church We're going to spend at least four weeks this summer exploring what that means and and what he's doing, the kind of work he does. God is uh, building his church, and it's a work in progress. The work is not yet done, and uh, we have good work laid out before us. And next week, we'll talk about the great reward that lies ahead. So, what is the, the first and best response to adversity and hardship and heartache? Prayer. Um... There's so much need for so much prayer, and there's nothing like a good crisis to focus and enhance the urgency of our prayers. So what I want us to do now is pray. As a congregation, I will lead us in prayer. And not just a uh, 30-second, sum-up-the-sermon, sneak-the-band-onto-the-stage kind of prayer, a uh, on-our-faces, God-help-us-now kind of prayer. The sort of prayer that makes small children think that the church is full of boring windbags. But when the need is great, then so must be the fervency and the urgency of our prayers. So, please join me as we go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, we've been able to gather before you this morning and to sit under your word And I pray that you would be having your word do its work through what I have said, through the songs that we sing, and uh, as we reflect on what it is that we've seen and heard uh, this afternoon and in the days to come. Lord, I freely acknowledge here that at Prairie View, we are developing quite a poor track record when it comes to ministers. And we clearly uh, do not have... Uh, all our ducks in a row when it comes to seeking and finding and recruiting and maintaining ministers. And Lord, please help us as we go into the uh, the next season with uh, the minister we have, Jeff, and the ones, uh, Lord willing, that we'll have in the future. Please help us as a church to um, treat your workers well and to give them not just single honor, but, but double honor, but a focusing especially well on the esteem and honor that is to be given to uh, the man of God who, who leaves the secular workforce to pursue the work of the gospel as his vocation and the uniquely risky position that that puts him in. Please help us as we look for and find that kind of, of man. Lord, we know that you are at work in this church, and um, we trust that you have a plan, that it is a good plan that will lead to our growth in you as individuals and as a church, and that will ultimately lead to your 
greater glory. And thank you that you've given us such great and rich promises in your word about the work that you do. And thank you that you've given us such clarity about the way that you accomplish your work through hardship and adversity and seasons of frustration. And Lord, please help us to uh, bear up under your hand as you train us. And please um, be strengthening us and giving us Uh, faithfulness and diligence for the work that you have called us to. Lord, I have no shame in uh, asking personally for prayer for me and my own family as we go through this next season. Please be with me and Aaron as we uh, try to discern the best way to use our time, uh, not neglecting the work and opportunities you've given us uh, among your community here at Prairie View, and also not neglecting the work and opportunities that you've given us at home with, with our daughter and, uh, and with each other in our marriage. Please be with us. Please also be with the Stearns in a very similar situation as he expands his role and picks up some slack in some different ways. Please be with them and their marriage. Please be with Jeff as he's taking on new tasks. Give him uh, wisdom and energy and the support that he needs to do his work well and uh, pray that we can be uh, a good church for the Stearns family and uh, for the Kinseys as well. I pray for the youth that they will not feel any resentment for needing to share their youth minister with new tasks. Please be with them as they wrap up this school year, uh, especially those who are uh, hopefully on the track for graduation shortly, that they would stay on that track and that all the other ones would also be finishing diligently their schoolwork. And as they move through the summer, please help them stay connected to each other and their friends that help them Uh, Stay close to you, that the summer would not be a lost, wasted time for the youth in the youth group, but it would be a time of bonding and strengthening and uh, mutual encouragement in the faith, especially for those who will be leaving in the fall to pursue higher education. Be with those who are going to uh, secular schools as they face the challenges, temptations there, and be with those who are going to Christian schools, that they will deal with those unique challenges and temptations that face the young man and woman of God at a Christian college. Lord, please be with the children that are in this congregation. Please be with the teachers in Kid City. Help them deal with uh, these situations with uh, grace as, as it comes up back there. And please uh, let this be an opportunity for our children to see what the church is supposed to be like in the best case scenario. Help them see how we are, uh, how we go about caring for each other and caring for those of us who are, are wounded and hurt. And I pray that this would in no way Um, spoil uh, any child's uh, esteem and affection for for the church, the bride of Christ. That could so easily happen in this situation. So I pray that parents and children alike would be able to use this season to um, bring greater glory to to you through the way that we interact with each other uh, in, in the church. I pray for the elders who uh, lead this church forward and the work that they have to do and the burden that's on our shoulders. Please give us wisdom, uh, not just with all the new things that come with uh, not having a senior minister, but with all the ordinary tasks of leading and feeding and caring for and protecting this flock. Let us not drop the ball, please. Let us be aware of the problems that we need to address and the wounds that we need to tend to help us to serve you in a way that is very enriching for your people and satisfying for us as well. I pray for the search 
process as we consider uh, the man that we might be finding to come and be the next senior minister. Please be with those who are doing that work and making those decisions and uh, help them to be seeing clearly the problems that we've had and the challenges that we've faced and how to um, build on the good foundation that you've established here and, uh, and do a better job than we have in the past of, of conducting a search process. I pray for the pulpit guests, uh, for me and for Jeff, and also for all the other ones from, uh, from the congregation and outside the congregation, that through the summer and into the fall and beyond, that we would be able to week in and week out present your word in uh, a manner fitting for the great esteem in which we hold it and, and in which you've given it, that we would be able to present it clearly and in a way that can be heard and understood and obeyed and responded to. And uh, please be with all those folks and for Craig as he um, plans and coordinates the filling of the pulpit. Please be with the Lauks. Be with Ryan and Kara and Emily as they deal with uh, this situation and... Um, we know you are at work and we are confident that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, that they are yours and that you have a plan for their life that uh, we cannot see and they cannot see. But I pray that you would be revealing it to them and giving them the courage and strength to step forward as the path is revealed so that they can do good work in a way that pleases you for the furthering of your gospel. Lord, we love that man, and we know that he loves to preach and care for people. Please help him to continue to grow and develop in his strengths and to uh, grow in and around and be rid of his weaknesses as well. And um, please be with them, Lord, and pray that we can be a good former church for them, that it's not a relationship of estrangement, that we can, uh, as individuals and as a church, um, come to be on better and better terms with them in the future. Lord, I pray for the testimony of this church internally, that the uh, small groups would be thriving and that we would be able to grow in unity. Lord, thank you for the great grace that you gave us last time we went through this transition in 2009 and 2010 as we worked hard together and grew closer to each other. Thank you for the relationships that were deepened and enriched and the friendships that were developed and the good work that you did in your people last time. And I pray that you would extend that to this coming season as well so that by uh, the time that uh, it's our time to go somewhere else or to bring a senior minister in, that uh, we are in an even better place uh, than than we are now. And lastly, Lord, I pray for our external testimony that uh, the community would be able to look at this church as we deal with this challenging season and see a community that loves each other, not just because we have something in common, not just because we all sort of look the same and we're from the same place, but because we are one in you, Lord. And I pray that our unity and love for each other would serve to point people towards you in a, a gripping and compelling way. I pray that um, nobody would say or do anything that would tarnish the reputation of this church and that we would be able to draw people in and towards you uh, for, the, for the greater purposes of your gospel and your kingdom. Lord, we pray all these things uh, knowing that you will do your work and I pray that we'd be able to hear these words and respond to them and lift our hearts and voices in response to you in, in worship as we sing these songs. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen. During the next song.